Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com/fool. It's Tuesday, February 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. How did you celebrate President's Day? Olympics. Olympics? Yeah. Mondo Olympics. Was All there, day. Did you think about any presidents in particular? Did you think about, you know what, I'm going to take two minutes, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ruminate on Chester A. Arthur. Just for a moment, because I never do any other day. No, I did. I think, as I mentioned, I did go through my Twitter account and eliminate everybody that comments on politics. <laughs> uh, which um, they I, they all had intelligent things to point to and say. I just need a little break. Need a little break. And and if we were going to talk about uh, presidents that probably popped into my mind yesterday, the the usual one would be uh, the current one. Unfortunately, in that category. And that's why we have the Olympics. Thank Goodness. Which, by yes. the way, um, uh, I don't know if our producer Dan Boyd was recording the ten minutes uh, right before we started taping here, but I think we came up with some really good ideas um, to improve the Winter Olympics. Or conversely, we came up with some really bad ideas that would make it so that no one would ever watch the Winter it Olympics. It was maybe ever. our best material of the year. <laughs> I, if you could uh, use that as an outtake, maybe the end of the show you think i don't know don't we'll, know we'll i think we we worked we worked pretty g rated on that one oh no it, it wasn't a question of the the profanity or lack thereof it was just how valid were the ideas we were putting forth about improving the olympics or again destroying the potential for any viewing audience for nbc i'm not saying they were valid <laughs> they were they were comedic that's we, true we were laughing we're just delaying the 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 actual news today because there is actual news and and uh, thanks to our listeners who hung in there yesterday because we were off yesterday the market was closed when the stock market is closed the motley fool is closed for business we follow the market schedule um, market back with a vengeance today and so we're going to get to Home Depot's earnings and we're going to get to the huge weekend that uh, the Walt Disney Film Studios had and we're going to get to the big deal of the day. Uh, involving grocery stores and drug stores, but we got to start with Walmart. Help me out. Walmart shares are down about 10% this morning. And I get that Walmart's fourth quarter profits came in lower than Wall Street analysts were hoping for. On the surface, this quarter didn't look that, it didn't look 10% bad to me. Um, I, the fact that online sales growth is lower. It's still online sales growth, growth, and we've talked before about how, for a long time, e-commerce for Walmart was working off of a very small base. And so, anytime they would put up, oh, you know, e-commerce sales up twenty percent, well, they're working off a small. They're not working off a small base anymore. So I, I think, shame on any Wall Street analyst who thought that Walmart was just going to be putting up these huge e-commerce comps quarter after quarter. Well. I think we so we commented. I think I was here for last quarter's Walmart earnings, and they online was up fifty percent in the third quarter, and it was up twenty three percent year over year uh, this quarter. And those are two very different numbers. And within the the larger picture, 
third quarter Walmart earnings were good, but the stock reacted very positively. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with that that 50% online number. Uh, today, down almost 10%. Uh, again, solid numbers all around. But what you've got is sort of a small part of the company, the online sales, in comparison to the larger part of the company, and growing faster than it. Still growing faster than it. 23% growth is pretty significant. Uh, but it's hard to value uh, numbers around. 50%, 40%, 30%. They're still guiding for 40%. Here's another part of why the stock is weak today. They're guiding for the year for 40% online growth, which is phenomenal. But what they're saying is that's going to be backloaded. That's going to be more in the second half of the year. And there is always a certain amount of skepticism from the, you know what, we're going to do this good work, but more of it in the second half of the year. That never goes over particularly well. So, you know, Walmart stock up 50% in the last year, you know, that embeds a lot of good news. Today's news was good, but not great. And I'm glad you touched on the management comments because that was one of the things in the conference call that I think was clarifying in this regard that Doug McMillan, the CEO, who has overseen this growth recently? He spearheaded the Jet.com acquisition. He was pretty cagey when pressed by analysts about specifically, you know, and I, I sort of feel like everybody did their job. The analysts did their job in pressing the CEO, give us some specifics. And McMillan, I think, did his job in essentially. Uh, to use a sports analogy, kind of pulling a, a Bill Belichick and essentially saying, "No, I'm not going to give you specifics. If you want to trust that we're going to do this, great. If you're not going to trust this that we're going to do this, and you want to sell off our stock or downgrade our stock, that's certainly in your purview to do that. But I'm not going to give you the specifics that you want." Yeah. Well, if you're not going to do that, uh, and I think you can credit him with with. Choosing not to do it, but the stock was trading up around 25, 27 times earnings, uh, which is higher than the market generally and much higher than Walmart specifically has traded over most of its uh, recent past. Over the last five years, it's averaged a 16 uh, multiple of priced earnings. So you've seen that 55% stock performance in the last year is not. Reflective of a 55% growth in earnings or profits or or anything like that, just a hey, this this online business is growing very impressively, still is, but that becomes hard to value. And today, down 9%, stock was up 6% going into today for the year, and um, it's 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 become a little bit a little bit less easy to predict. Uh, what a, a big, big company like this will do with its numbers th- than it used to be. So you're seeing a little bit more volatility just because of that online story uh, evolving. Let's move on to the home improvement industry and Home Depot's fourth quarter profits. Not surprisingly, came in higher than expected. Overall sales looking good, and same store sales continue to impress, up seven and a half percent. 
That is a good number. That's an awfully good number. And okay, the stock's not moving a whole lot in response to that today because it's basically what was expected. They uh, also guided for the year comps of five percent for uh, twenty eighteen, and that's awfully good, but not really different from what the market was expecting. Maybe even a little under what the market uh, analysts uh, had expected. So. Uh, I think they bought back two billion uh, in shares over the course of the quarter. Uh, they've bumped up their dividend. Uh, so Home Depot, the equation here is and has been for a long time running these stores better and better and better, but not building more stores every year. They're not a store growth story. They're a capital allocation story where they are reinvesting in themselves by uh, improving the quality and efficiency of their stores. They're attracting more people. They're selling more stuff. Uh, but then they are returning large percentages of that back to shareholders, which relieves them of the obligation of figuring out what else to do with it, uh, That be that buying another company or where is a new location to put up more stores. You know what international country should we expand into? No, just return a lot of the money back, uh, raise our dividend every year, buy back some shares, and keep doing what we're doing. Take market share by being better with the store count that we've got. Do you like this strategy? I mean, clearly it's paying off for shareholders. I'm just wondering if Home Depot does have some room for expansion. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like a business that is. Uh, in any danger anytime soon in the United States of being overexpanded. Well, speaking as a shareholder, I'm not a shareholder, but uh, my wife holds some in uh, her retirement account, so effectively, I'm a shareholder, and uh, I'm very happy with how things have been <laughs> going. You know, it's it's got a 10-year record of 22% returns. Uh, compound that out for 10 years, and you get a big pile of money at the end of your decade. Now, 10 years ago, 2018, uh, subtract that tenure in the early part of uh, 2008, and uh, shares were weak then. So, it's, it all depends in, to a degree on your starting point. But I can't complain about what they've been doing. They, they are sort of a 20% stock return story. Uh, year in and year out, uh, on average, and and that is uh, something that I don't know if shareholders, if that's not good enough for shareholders, then they can they can find uh, riskier uh, growth stories. But uh, of course, part of this is the the health of the housing market today. We could look at uh, a lesser known company, uh, TriPoint Homes, uh, is another data point for that. That's a stock we own in. Um, our mutual fund, and you know they've got uh, orders up 17% over the year. This is TriPoint. New home deliveries up 23%. Backlog is up 56%. Uh, it is still, although interest rates are moving up, and that's a concern. And uh, TriPoint plays in a higher price point uh, house, and and there are some changes in the deductibility of mortgage, which may affect them. But to date. Uh, their numbers are going very well, and that's just you know Home Depot is a much bigger example of the same story. Do you think uh, we can expect Lowe's quarterly results tomorrow? Do you think they 
do you think they're going to hold serve as they've done for I don't know the last two to three years, where Home Depot comes out, puts up their numbers, and Lowe's comes out, and their numbers look almost as good as Home Depot's, but just not quite. Yeah, I mean, until that narrative changes, I think that that's uh, that's what you should expect. Uh, I don't I don't know of any reason to expect something different. There there was a time uh, when Lowe's was getting the job done better than Home Depot, but that time hasn't been around for. I don't know the last half decade. I was going to say. Least. I think I think that coincided with the time that Bob Nardelli was running Home Depot. <laughs> well, Lowe's is an outstanding company as well, and they are enjoying the same macroeconomic uh, tailwinds and uh, doing almost as well for shareholders. Oh, absolutely! And in the same way that if you owned shares of MasterCard and Visa over the last ten years, you've done really well, and you almost don't care which one has done better. Same sort of thing with Home Depot and Lowe's. If you've owned both of them, you're quite happy with the returns on both. Should we just like pre-tape that part of tomorrow's episode <laughs> right now? Just go ahead. <laughs> Lowe's fourth quarter, pretty good. Just not quite as good as Home Depot's. No, just as we expected. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, I I don't know what else we're going to talk about tomorrow. Probably some more Winter Olympics. I don't know who who are you going to have on tomorrow. Uh, you got to tune in tomorrow to find out. Oh, until you're then gonna, you're going to tease that with a mystery guest. Exactly, a total mystery guest. Do you uh, take requests on what mystery guests? Uh, sure. Like if people, <laughs> the folks chime in, like, "Hey, you know, you haven't had on for a you while." Have to, yeah, I, I, I take. I abs- How about I offer up somebody from uh, Motley Fool Asset Management for you? Here's the thing. I absolutely take requests. I just don't always fulfill them. <laughs> you know, it's like the old line. It's like, does God answer prayers? Sure, God answers prayers. Sometimes the answer is no. But uh, yeah, I take requests. Uh, How about a Dave Meyer? Again, how about you, a Nate Weissar? You can you can make requests. <laughs> I don't think I'm not necessarily going to fulfill them. Um, here's what I am going to fulfill, though. Speaking of housing and speaking of mortgages, because that did that also came up on the conference call. Uh, for Home Depot today, uh, in terms of at what point mortgage rates start to become a problem for them, and I believe the answer they gave was somewhere in the neighborhood of seven percent. They're not worried. They're not worried about about interest rates until it, until it starts with a seven. Uh, but speaking of mortgages, shout out to Rocket Mortgage because uh, let's face it, getting a mortgage not necessarily the easiest thing in the world to do. In part because there's a lot of math and a lot of paperwork. And when you're getting a mortgage or you're refinancing your existing home loan, you want to be as confident as you are in your life in general. And Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. And it's simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. Not one of these fly-by-night operations that only goes like 38, 39 states. All 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Please help me understand what to think about this next story. Albertsons, the grocery chain, is buying Rite Aid, the drugstore. And one reaction that appears to be happening on Wall Street is essentially the investing equivalent of yawning. Because it's not like shares of Rite Aid are shooting to the moon on this. Um, and Rite Aid has always struck me as one of those businesses without any real compelling thesis for investors. 
uh, in part because they haven't made the moves that CVS has made over the last four years in terms of being more focused on health, um, not just in the way that CVS got rid of selling tobacco, but the, their move into being more of a healthcare company. Um, when you saw the news, Albertsons buying Rite Aid, what was your first reaction? Well, I think we talked about Rite Aid recently in regard to their attempt to sell themselves to Walgreens, and they were partially successful. They sold some of their stores, but not all, uh, not as many as they wanted. And so, what was left was sort of a, you know, there's got to be somebody else that's going to acquire this company. They obviously don't want to go it alone any longer, um, and they're uh, handicapped against CVS and Walgreens in terms of their uh, scope. Uh, But somebody can probably do a better job with what remains. And I think Rite Aid. Uh, tried to sell 4,600 locations to Walgreens in 2015. Ultimately, they sold uh, less than half of that, about 1,900. And so, what they had left was was available to the highest bidder. And Albertsons is has has been sort of moving around. Um, this is a company that wanted to go public a couple of years ago and uh, failed. Uh, they they were lined up to do it. Uh, but then uh, Kroger's had some bad news, and then Walmart got into the grocery store space uh, in a better way, and then um, you know Amazon acquired Whole Foods, and so the there never seemed to be a good enough time to reintroduce that IPO, and you've still got Albertsons hanging around um, and owned by Cerberus Capital Management still. Trying to figure out what the combination is that is going to interest the market, because I, I think that's the liquidation event that their private equity owners want. Is that the best name of a of any private equity firm? Cerberus Capital Management. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I've never ranked them. Uh, I just think uh, when you think about private equity and what private equity companies are capable of, uh, sometimes for good, sometimes not for good. Uh, the fact that these folks decided we're going to name our private equity firm after the mythological three-headed dog who guards the gates of hell—I feel like they were onto something there. Yeah, the three-headed hellhounds. I don't know. Is that does that convey skill at private equity or just something to fear? Um, definitely the latter. I don't know uh, their track record well enough to know if they can claim the former, but certainly they're shooting for the uh, for the former. Yeah, well, I think it's it's a strong one. I don't I don't know that it's worked out especially well for Albertsons so far. So well, it's a mixed record apparently. Well, when you decide to hook up with uh, the company that named uh, their firm after the three-headed hellhound, then uh, then you kind of get what you signed up for. I think. Yeah, you kind of knew that going in, or you should have. Before we wrap up, huge weekend for uh, the Walt Disney Company at the box office, where Black Panther took in north of $230 million. Granted, the extra day helped, having the four-day weekend uh, certainly helped, but even, even if you're just counting the traditional Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it came in just shy of $200 million. And I went to see it yesterday with my son. 
And what struck me was not just that it's a great movie, and it is a great movie, highly enjoyable, and and all the things you've come to expect and and hope for out of a Marvel film. But what struck me was the fact that, with the exception of one movie, every other movie that had a, a preview before Black Panther ran was a Disney movie. There were three Marvel films: Deadpool two, uh, Ant Man and the Wasp, Venom. There was A Wrinkle in Time, which is a Disney movie, and uh, the Star Wars spin-off movie about Han Solo. And that doesn't even include The Incredibles 2, which is coming later this year, or The Avengers Infinity War, which is coming later this year. So, again, I get all the hand-wringing at the Walt Disney Company, or around the Walt Disney Company, about ESPN and the declining number of people who are watching traditional cable television, but it really does seem like the kitchen is well-stocked when it comes to the Walt Disney's uh, company's movie studios. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a huge year, one assumes, uh, if the movies are anywhere in the ballpark of all their predecessors, and most of those things are, are you know, sequels or prequels or, or whatever uh, the solo movie is categorized as. Uh, Wrinkle in Time. You looking forward to that one? I, so here's the thing about A Wrinkle in Time. I never really read that book. I think my memory is that's a book that I started to read. I didn't really get it. I think I was maybe in fifth or sixth grade or something like that. It just it didn't it didn't really grab me. So I just put it down. So I, I I'm looking at that movie trailer. Remembering that about my own childhood, but also trying to think of it in terms of, okay, well, just put aside whether or not I've read the book because clearly I haven't. Is this a movie that is grabbing my attention? And I'm I'm hoping as a shareholder it's going to do well. It probably is going to have a big opening weekend, but I, on the surface, I don't know if that movie is going to work. Yeah, you know the first uh, first line from the book. No. It was a dark and stormy night. Is that on purpose? <laughs> I believe so. Is that, is that where, is that where the, the? It's an homage to uh, all those who have used that before, including uh, uh, Edward George Bulwer Lytton, uh, who who first coined it. Okay, that's and the then Snoopy uh, sort of owned it uh, in, yeah. in the Charlie Brown uh, strips. But uh, have you ever read the Bulwer Lytton fiction contest uh, entries? No. You should. No, what I don't it, it is a, an annual contest for uh, the first sentence of the worst possible book, uh, and and so it 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 mirrors the original. Uh, it was a dark and stormy night, which is not a complete sentence. That's that's only about one fifteenth of the first sentence of the book that it originally appeared in, which is not a wrinkle in time. But anyway, this is an annual contest that uh, is online, and you can look it up. And it's it's phenomenal stuff where people uh, come up with these sentences, uh, very complex sentences that uh, lead into interesting places. So, one more time, the name of the contest: the Bulwer Lytton Fiction Contest. Okay. Uh, secondly, I I think if you're aiming to write a really bad opening sentence. It's got to be long, right? It has to be a paragraph, a traditional paragraph in length, doesn't it? Well, I can read you the original sentence. That this is what this is the standard that this contest asks you to pursue. 
in the original sentence. You know what? I can't think of a better way to end this worthless episode. So, by all means. It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals, when it was checked by a violent gust of wind, which swept up the streets, parenthesis, for it is in London that our scene lies, close paren, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. Wow. Don't you want to read the rest of that book? Not even remotely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, A Wrinkle in Time improves uh, greatly on that uh, with its use, but that that is the homage that uh, that is there. A Wrinkle in Time improves on that, and yet, uh, to bring it back to investing, that sounds like a really easy comp. <laughs> you can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues at Motley Fool Asset Management, and I promise you, their writing is a whole lot better than that writing. Go to foolfunds.com to read more. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. I also don't like the the is it in ice dancing it's the I think the short program or the or the technical program whichever one is the shorter one the short program the short program that apparently there's a musical theme that everyone has to pick from and it's yeah. just like hey this olympics it's latin you got to pick some latin music it's like why I don't like that I don't like that. It's like, oh, pick anything. It's got, it's got to be Latin. That's what if right. what if they just go a little off script on that? Like, oh, and this year everybody has to skate to Philip Glass. Who's Philip Glass? <laughs> he did Koyana Scotzi. Oh, you've heard you've heard his stuff. Okay. Thin Blue Line. Okay. No. Okay. No. I thought everybody were... has to skate to the saddest song we can possibly think of. Everybody has to th- skate to Johnny Cash's "Give My Love to Rose," which is yeah. about a dying man who got hit by a train and, and a stranger finds him yeah. while he's dying on the tracks. <laughs> this year, everybody's skating to a hundred bottles of beer on the wall. <laughs> um, I was oh, gonna... we're wasting our best material I was again. Gonna say, I was going to say because that's not a.